welcome to the next Archimedes podcast from the Archives of Diseases of Childhood, where we bring you the most up-to-date-ish evidence-based clinical questions in paediatrics across the whole of the world, with vast variety and difference as we go forwards in time. This issue, we happen to have accidentally done a theme issue on epilepsy and bone density and badness to do with anti-epilepsy drugs, um, which is fascinating and a conjunction of fates that mean that the snow outside adds such a beautiful twist to everything that we're doing. However, we start, as we always do, with a little snippet about something to do with practising evidence-based medicine or understanding critical appraisal. And this time, it's about presentations without context. Looking backwards, a whole bunch of studies which were undertaken may be seen as either astoundingly obvious or startlingly pointless. Why on earth, for example, would you want to trial the effects of dexamethasone in suspected preterm labour or see if doxorubicin was a useful drug for treating sarcoma in the 21st century? The answer could either be one, it was an utter waste of research effort, or two, it's all about the context. Now, it is true that sometimes clinical studies are done for the researcher and their CV and not actually the research and the content. We need, as Archimedes has called for with boring regularity, to explore what we already know before jumping into doing more research, with an increasingly better use of evidence synthesis before we set off on new studies. That's systematic reviews and variations on that theme, really. And the involvement of patients and clinicians in alongside pure academic types in designing trials and future studies. We are improving in that, that research waste arena. Not there yet, but we are improving. Mostly, though, it's context that matters. It, over 15 years after a conclusive Cochrane review and the widespread adoption of antenatal steroids in threatened preterm labour, a clinical trial was launched comparing steroids with no treatment. Why? Well, the adoption of the practice in resource-limited settings had, in post-implementation observational studies, seen an increase in early neonatal death and maternal infections. And this was done in the setting of none of the trials, or very few of the trials being done in that sort of environment. And it does make sense if you consider the immunosuppressive effects of glucocorticoids, the reduced ability to detect infection and reduced ability of the infant or mother to respond to infection. The findings were uncertain, as observational data often are, and a subsequent trial included over 2,800 participants. It showed that the benefits outweighed the harms of antenatal steroids. As we all knew, it would. Except if we appreciate the context, we didn't know that that would definitely be the outcome. Now, when it comes to doxorubicin and sarcoma, we knew that it made tumours shrink, and it made them shrink quickly, and it produces a range of fairly negative effects too. What we didn't actually know is if it made a major difference to major things like survival and relapse. We found that it did not make much difference to those outcomes at all, and have to swallow the fact that we've been using it unnecessarily in certain contexts for a decade or more. So, 
the point of this really is is when you are getting your educational updates via a journal table of contents or podcasts or a highlight service and you see something and you go duh of course just stop a moment and consider the context perhaps it was an entirely reasonable question to ask and your certainty was over over sure on to the problem of epilepsy and anti-epileptics and bone health. The first question is from Milind Girish, Aman Mahan and Ashwin Venkatash, who are all at the University of Cambridge School of Clinical Medicine in Cambridge in the UK. And their question really is based around the overall theme of should children on prolonged antiepileptic drug therapy undergo DEXA scanning to assess bone mineral density? There's a nine-year-old boy presenting in clinic who'd had a distal radial fracture following a fall from a playground climbing equipment. Now, this obviously is set in the times when kids used to go out and play. Four years prior to that, when he was about five, following a couple of episodes of generalised seizures, he'd been diagnosed with epilepsy and prescribed long-term sodium valproate, and it was very good for his seizure control. But you'd heard about the way that antiepileptic medicines can have an adverse event on bone health, in addition to valproate's big risk to babies, and why you tend not to give it to women of childbearing potential if there is any other option available, but that's a, a sideline. And you wonder about this boy who's had a fracture, nine-year-old, on antiepileptics to see if he should have a DEXA scan to assess for just how thin his bones are. The structured question that arises from this is, should children on prolonged antiepileptic therapy undergo DEXA scanning, dual energy x-ray absorbiometry, to assess the bone mineral density? Now, they went away and they looked in a couple of different databases using a fairly extensive mixture of words to try and capture all those sorts of things, getting 300-odd studies. They looked in the Cochrane Library to see what came to out there, and 30 potentially relevant things were identified, and then cut down into six which were included in the study. Of these six, there was a systematic review drawing together 22 other studies, 14 of which were reporting on bone mineral density, but they were a mixture of designs, some of them prospective, some of them retrospective, some of them cross-sectional, looking at those that got them and those that didn't. Overall, when they pooled across these different sorts of studies, they showed that there was a decrease of bone mineral density in the group that were given valproic acid, uh, not so much in the carbamazepine group, uh, and that that was, that was often based around spinal rather than other areas, but a very, very wide variety of studies there, and a lot of them based around adults. Very, very iffy to pull studies of different designs together because then you end up with that situation as a, a, a more precise answer, but maybe a more incorrect answer if they've been dragged by a bias in one direction or the other. Another study with 108 children with epilepsy looked at what the bone mineral density was in the epilepsy group compared to the others um, in increasing duration of epilepsy and along with that probably increasing duration of anti-epileptic treatment was associated with a lower bone mineral density compared to normal controls. Now, this again was not an entirely brilliant study in that it didn't have the same anti-epileptics all the time. There was a mix of people of different pubertal stages and ages in there, and they weren't accounting for that. Another study was a little bit more sort of in a 
a controlled manner, bringing together a cohort with monotherapy and 126 doing bone mineral densities again of the spine but also of the femur and showing a reduction in bone mineral density in this group with an increased incidence of fractures particularly in those that had uh, valproate being used two smaller studies showed something very very similar as well and that was looked in a small group where they had excluded the children with cerebral palsy because we know that in that group it would be even more pronounced and it was still found that the bone mineral density was less. If you have additional risk factors as well as just on an antiepileptic for a long period of time, it does look like it would be a good idea to check out and possibly start intervening after 6 or 12 months of treatment and those other factors might be cerebral palsy, it might be these are multiple anti-epileptics, it might be that the, the patient is immobile or has a low BMI. All of those are factors that could also push up that risk and, and, and might move you to do the screening. Having heard that, I'm sure you're now ready for the next section, which is another question all about anti-epileptic medication and vitamin D as we leap across the water to Belfast and Derry Londonderry with Maura Scott, Neil Corrigan, Thomas Burke, Andrew Thompson and Peter Mallet, who ask a question all about a nine-year-old patient who turns up a yet epilepsy clinic and he's taking sodium valproate. This is for absence epilepsy and he hasn't broken his arm yet, but maybe he was on a holiday in Cambridge when that happened later. You wonder, after his mum asks, whether you should prescribe vitamin D supplementation alongside the antileptic medication. Now, there's also, as another aside, um, a request that we all take vitamin D medication, particularly uh, in the winter times, if we're living in these sort of northern climes with very little sunshine, uh, because of, broadly speaking, we're all vitamin D deficient. Uh, but this is this is a specific supplementation for, for, for this chap because of the problems potentially brought about by his anti-epileptic medications. Now, the group went away. They searched in Medline with a range of keywords, bringing back an awful lot of articles that were, were really delved into, but only four came out on top that actually went to answer the questions. Looking through the references, an extra article was found and leading with five in total. Now these were cohort type studies, so taking things and leading them forwards, looking um, at what's going on. Now two of them were randomized controlled trials and the others were looking across different groups. The randomized trials were looking to see if you gave people vitamin D or if you didn't give them vitamin D, but with relatively small numbers, 60 and 80 patients. What they showed in the RCTs is that by giving vitamin D supplementation, you can rise somebody's vitamin D level. Not a shock, but they didn't then look to see if that made the difference to fracture risk and didn't make a difference to bone marrow density. And in the other one, they looked to see if you give people high dose vitamin D, do you actually make a difference to their min bone mineral density? Well, not over a short period of time, you don't appear to. 
you demonstrate that there is a lack of vitamin D in many of these kids, possibly more than kids who weren't on anti-epileptic drugs, and that this is related to the older anti-epileptic drugs in particular, but also present with the newer anti-epileptic drugs. The emerging evidence is suggesting that with a lower level, it's probably a good idea to supplement with vitamin D. The general population advice is that way, and whilst that might not be absolutely based on the best evidence anyway, certainly these kids have an increased risk of having a low vitamin D level. And so it's probably sensible for those kids that don't have signs of rickets to give them a standard 400 international units or weight-based equivalent daily dose of vitamin D to try to prevent low mineral density and fractures. Obviously for those with signs of rickets, investigate them thoroughly. So that's the evidence-based snow zone for today. We hope that you have enjoyed listening to this and would encourage you to submit your questions as on the website. We are always out for a variety of different sorts of things and we'll be happily providing editorial advice in advance of submission. So until next time, we thank you for your attention and enjoy your winter.